We could use your help keeping the Omaha History Podcast going. Please consider becoming a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash Omaha. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It'll help pay the light bill. Welcome to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Each week, Adam takes you on a guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past. Began in 1915 and officially chartered in 1918, the Omaha NAACP has been the vanguard in fighting for African Americans for the last century of Omaha's existence. So tell us the history of the chapter, Adam. Way back in 1909, a group of national leaders got together and decided that there needed to be an advocacy organization in the United States that would work together between races to stop lynching, to fight segregation, and to promote civil rights for African Americans. That organization was led by W.B. Dubois, Ida B. Wells, Mary White Ovington, and several other folks, and really moved to the forefront quickly as the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. That was 1909. Their movement, their work inspired action across the country. And in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, one person in particular was moved to action. We're going to talk about him in a second. His action, though, it came from a visit that happened in 1915 when Dr. Joel Springer from New York City came to Omaha to advocate the existence of the NAACP. Springer was trying to uh, promote the NAACP across the country and working with local civil rights leaders, local African-Americans and white folks who were advocating for equality. And he got to Omaha and he knew that he was in the right place. He had a gigantic meeting at the Paxton Hotel downtown and asked the city's wealthy white people to come join him. He called for these wealthy white people because he himself, Dr. Springham, was from a wealthy Jewish family in New York City and had a, uh, some social capital that he was spending uh, and really wanted to build up the liberal Republican support for African Americans in the city and nationwide. At that point, the Republican Party was promoting African American civil rights as they had since the time of Abraham Lincoln. While they were working to advance the causes, they got to the city and Springer got in touch with a successful local attorney in Omaha named John L. Kennedy. Kennedy introduced Springer a couple of times during speeches speeches to wealthy liberal community as well as um, to alumni from Columbia University because Springer was a professor there and uh, he wanted to appeal to his school folk directly. During the visit, the Omaha Public Library put up a special display of books about African Americans for the public to check out, which is pretty advanced in Omaha for that time. But on the second day of his visit, Springer was introduced to an African-American leader in North Omaha, whose name was, uh, he, he was the Reverend John Albert Williams. Reverend Williams was from St. Philip the Deacon Episcopal Church, which was a uh, segregated uh, Episcopalian church right at about 22nd and uh, Nicholas, in between Nicholas and Paul. Reverend Williams was very advanced for his time. He had been a minister since the 1880s and was known to speak out loudly in Omaha for civil rights. Reverend Williams spoke on the second day. Uh, he uh, got the chance to introduce Springer, and Springer spoke about the tests of democracy. Williams was so fired up that he took the advance to uh, really begin chapter work in Omaha. 
and and maybe he was moved most by what he saw in the city during one of his talks in Omaha Springer and said the colored people are trying to advance and are doing it so without any help from the whites. They are doing it rather in the face of hindrance from the whites. And he was talking about Omaha specifically as well as the national scene. Well, Reverend Williams, you know, he used his newspaper. It was an African-American newspaper called The Monitor. And he used his paper to really build up uh, support for the chapter. However, he had a hard time getting white people to sign on to the NAACP. And unfortunately, the chapter wasn't official. They still led a campaign, though, The Birth of the Nation, a horrible movie that promoted segregation and racism towards African Americans, opened in Omaha in 1915. And Reverend Williams used his newspaper and the NAACP to fight against the film. But the activism doesn't work, and the film was still shown over and over in Omaha for six months and kept on because of its popular demand. We might see that as being a terrible affront today, but back then... Reverend Williams knew it was the challenge that he faced. So in 1918, three years later, when Mary White Ovington came through Omaha, she spoke at Grove Methodist Church, which was a segregated Methodist church in North Omaha that later became Clare Memorial United Methodist Church that still exists today. Anyway, Ovington came to uh, Grove, and she spoke, and suddenly the chapter received its charter. Uh, There were enough African Americans, there were enough white people and onward they went. The Prince Hall Masons were really instrumental in supporting Omaha's NAACP chapter when it first started. And because of that influence and others, the chapter had 51 initial members, uh, which was more than the national office required to get going. So early activities were led by Reverend Williams, along with Mrs. Jesse Hale Moss and Mrs. Cecilia Jewell. Jesse Hale Moss was a fascinating person, and In 1920, she was named president of Omaha's NAACP chapter. She stayed there in that position for a couple of years, traveled to national conventions, and led a bunch of activism back in Omaha. It's interesting because in 1919, in January 1919, it was about a month or two after Omaha chapter had received its NAACP charter, the chapter started meeting every Sunday at a church in the near Northside neighborhood. They moved around from church to church. And of course, all these were black churches because white people wouldn't uh, host this kind of meeting in their own churches. But regardless, at one of the regular chapter meetings in 1919, Reverend Botts of the Zion Baptist Church said that uh, the uh, Omaha police chief should protect the black community if riots occurred in Omaha like in other cities. 1919 was the year of the Red Summer across the United States where so many African Americans were lynched nationwide that African-Americans, blacks in cities across the country, especially in Omaha, were scared. And this minister from Zion Baptist wanted the city police to protect North Omaha, to protect African-Americans in the city. Well, it was interesting because someone in the audience that night replied that blacks should be prepared to defend themselves. And Botts replied, you know what? That's the right spirit. One research paper said that 120 people joined the NAACP at that meeting that night. So it wasn't a surprise uh, in April 1919 when Mrs. Hale Moss, who was the president of Omaha's NAACP at that point, uh, spoke on behalf of the chapter to local newspapers about crime lord Tom Dennison's meeting where he promoted men acting in blackface to terrorize white women throughout the city. That was April 1919. Again, blood was flowing in streets across the country 
from racism and whites lynching black people across the country. In May, Reverend Williams took the Omaha chapter into a campaign to a national campaign to enroll 100,000 members to, quote, defend the constitutional and legal rights now denied to more than four-fifths of the Negro race in America. It's not really clear to me what he did. I couldn't find that in the newspapers, but uh, lots of uh, both of the local newspapers made note that he was launching the campaign. That same month, the chapter formed a committee uh, with signs that it's, they wanted to visit uh, businesses with signs that said, colored patronage not desired. And the committee asked more than a dozen businesses if they could hang those signs in the stores. Only one dentist complied, Steve. The rest of these businesses, they wanted the signs. Colored patronage not desired. Right in Omaha. So when W.B. Dubois spoke in Omaha that month in May 1919, he talked about freedom and justice. And he charged Omahans with rising to defeat racism. An attorney for the Omaha NAACP, Harrison Pinkett, who was super important in the city civil rights movement, he spoke as well, along with Mayor Ed Smith, who will come back up in our story in a minute. And they all called on everybody in Omaha to become a member of the NAACP. The chapter had more than 1,000 members in May of 1919. A month later, in June, there were huge labor strikes in Omaha. You know, these white workers were returning from World War One battlefronts after the war was over, and they were finding that their workplace jobs were cut. And what these employers were doing was promoting this idea that African Americans had taken their jobs. Because of that, Steve, they stirred up this race sentiment. Whether or not it was true that African Americans took their jobs, because it was not, but whether or not it was true, these African Americans uh, were suddenly more afraid. Not only because of the Red Summer nationwide, but now because of the labor danger in Omaha. Reverend Williams, uh, in ni- June 1919, he was, uh, he was quoted by the Omaha Daily Bee as saying that, Speaking for the Omaha branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, I desire to say it appears there is the usual disposition to make the Negro the goat. We are unalterably opposed equally to the outrageous propaganda designed to foment prejudice against the colored race. So Reverend Williams was seeing this racism that was being promoted by the Bee and the World Herald and the other newspapers against African Americans in the name of labor. It was a terrible time. And all of this sentiment was clustering against blacks in Omaha. In July of 1919, the NAACP led the defense of Ira Johnson, Ira Johnson was an African-American man accused of assaulting an 18-year-old white woman in Omaha. The trial started at the beginning of July, and it went on for a week, calling one witness for the prosecution. There were no witnesses for the defense. However, there were more than 20 NAACP activists in the courtroom. According to the Daily Bee, at the same time that uh, Johnson was being tried, three other African-American men in Omaha were being tried for assault cases against white women. Eventually, all of these men were found innocent because the charges were trumped up. However, the newspapers beat the drums of racism over and over and over, especially the Omaha Bee. So it it was a hard time uh, in Omaha, regardless. Eventually, a retrial of that original 
defendant, Ira Johnson, led to him being convicted. That's right. They ended up sending him to the Nebraska State Pen for 20 years hard labor. And in response, Reverend Williams, the leader of Omaha's NAACP, ended up saying this was outrageous. He was not convicted on evidence. He was convicted on public sentiment. So... Another longtime leader inside the NAACP, this guy named uh, Charles Galloway, he was super indignant and, and said that this is the most unfair decision. But what can one expect with the feeling of race prejudice now prevailing in Omaha? Omaha was terribly tense in 1919, Steve. Well, the Omaha chapter wasn't just being wasn't just going to go into a reactivist kind of mode against this white supremacy. Instead, they wanted integration and they wanted peace too. In late 1919, they held a quote welcome home picnic to honor re- returning war veterans, including white and black veterans. Committee held the celebration on August 27th at Krug Problem, I'm sorry, at Krug Park in Benson, and there were no problems. The races mixed together, and everybody learned. However, it was a month later in September 1919 when the Omaha Police Department shot an African-American bellboy at a hotel plaza in downtown Omaha. His name was Eugene Scott, and Eugene Scott ran away after the police raided a poker game. Running away, the cops pulled out their guns and shot him immediately. Scott had no weapon. Scott made no threats to the police. Instead, he was shot on the site. The Omaha B, they called the shooting reckless, though. And uh, they noted it as a, uh, quote, crowning achievement of a disgraced and incompetent Omaha Police Department. The Omaha Bee was playing both sides of this argument. The NAACP, they stood on the side, or they stood against the uh, Omaha Police Department. They had a rally at St. John's African Methodist Episcopal Church. 750 people went to that rally. The head of the police told the crowd that he suspended two officers and uh, signed an agreement with the crowd saying as much. But when he said that he wouldn't sign the agreement, Reverend Williams called him out in the local media. There was a trial of the police, and uh, they were found not guilty of murdering Eugene Scott. So, you know, pretty tense summer. Lots going on. 1919. Well, in September of that year, Will Brown was lynched. We're coming across the century-long commemoration that's happening in Omaha this next week. And one of the things that's really clear from this commemoration is that there were a lot of events that led up to this lynching. However, when Will Brown was murdered, the the tensions went right over the top. The NAACP was involved in trying to save the man's life. Before Brown was murdered, uh, an NAACP lawyer, well, Harrison Pinkett, who I mentioned earlier, interviewed Pinkett in his cell. He was the only uh, counsel that Will Brown got. And after the council, after this interview, uh, Pinkett went to the newspapers and reported that Will Brown suffered from diminished physical abilities due to his rheumatism and arthritis. And there was no way that Brown could have committed the crime. His hands were crinkled and crumpled from the suffering that he had. Regardless, though, regardless of the newspaper report that quoted him, regardless of anything, the riot happened. 20,000 white people stormed the Douglas County courthouse and they lynched Will Brown. They burnt him. They mutilated him. And uh, it was a horrible scene. Afterwards, uh, the NAACP leader, Williams, he uh, went to the, the Monitor, his newspaper, 
And he said, all expected the city's officials to do their duty and protect the prisoner. See that nothing prevented him from having a fair trial by jury. But uh, the lawlessness and the riot went on. And uh, when Brown suffered so horribly, the, the, the very next day, Harrison Pinkett sent a letter to the National NAACP office and said, the Omaha Bee is directly responsible for the lynching. It was brought deliberately brought about by the bee's agitation to discredit our police administration. I'm satisfied that the Negro who was lynched was innocent of the crime charge. The woman now admits it was a mistake to quote her as saying she was raped. So that's it. Will Brown was innocent. And the Omaha NAACP did all that they could, or a lot that they could, in order to stop the lynching, but it failed. Well, after Will Brown... Omaha continued in its racist ways. They weren't ever as explicitly as hate-filled as they were in the summer of 1919, but Joe, Jim Crow stayed on in Omaha. Then AACP stayed on point. Uh, they had a business office near 24th and Lake where uh, local prosecutors and politicians tried to off-rail the NAACP. But they kept on. The chapter kept on and uh, represented a lot of African Americans who were um, unfairly charged by the police and provided legal representation and other kinds of struggles on behalf of blacks in North Omaha. They sponsored several refugees from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who fled there after a particularly wicked race riot in 1921. The NAACP refused to name these refugees because of the fear for their lives and the repercussions against them by white people from Tulsa. But this riot in Tulsa obliterated Greenwood Avenue that was called the Black Wall Street because of how successful the black businesses there were. This neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was bombed, burnt down, and destroyed by white people. We're talking about hundreds of buildings. We're talking about airplanes dropping bombs on American crowds, African-Americans albeit. And the NAACP was fairly uh, incapable of actually doing anything to stop it. But when these refugees came to Omaha in June of 1921, they disappeared quickly into the neighborhood. Membership kind of wavered in Omaha's NAACP throughout the 20s. And by 1926, the chapter almost disappeared entirely. There were reports of increased Jim Crow practices throughout the city. And people had things to say about it. It's just that nobody wanted to join the NAACP to fight it. But by 1930, African-Americans were aware of a de facto segregation that was happening more and more and trying to make white people aware of it. The NAACP got involved. Uh, the leader, Dr. John Singleton, who was an African-American dentist in Omaha, he uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Singleton's son was a dentist. Singleton himself was a lawyer. And he ended up calling on the city of Omaha to keep the McKinley Park swimming pool in South Omaha open to African-Americans. Well, when white crowds became confrontational against blacks trying to swim in the pool, the city of Omaha drained the pool. Singleton got involved again, and the pool was refilled for just a year or two. And then in the 1940s, the city removed the pool entirely and filled in the spot where it was. And today, there's no sign that there was ever a pool in McKinley Park, uh, south of downtown. The chapter was revitalized by Singleton's work, though, and new members and new actions happened in the 1930s. The Youth Council was formed in 1935, focused on fighting segregation through kind of traditional community organizing tactics. But at that point, it was pretty red hot. Picketing, letter writing, and all kinds of work led to the integration, actually, of several Omaha businesses. This Youth Council was certainly busy, including fighting the Peony Park segregation later on. I'll explain that in a minute. They met at the Northside YMCA. YMCA 
and uh, they held social activities, teach-ins, and a lot more. The main organization continued onward into World War II. Uh, and in 1942, the Omaha Star uh, announced that the NAACP of Omaha are so courageously and completely fighting for our every battle for economic and civil rights. The mass meetings now being held by the NAACP are beyond the doubt the most effective and well-managed in the history of Omaha. So the, the Omaha Star was very excited about that work. The president of the Omaha chapter of the NAACP called out the national president-elect of the Daughters of the American Revolution in 1945. Apparently, uh, this uh, president-elect of DAR came to Omaha and refused to visit with a delegation of African-American representatives, claiming that she was following the historical prejudice of the American founders. The Omaha president of the NAACP was a guy named Christopher Adams. He, who reminded her of the long-standing presence of black people in American history, including serving in Washington's army and being in every war since. But the DAR official didn't recant, and uh, that segregation kept continued. You know, in 1947, Harrison Pinkett, who is now an old man, was still fighting for the NAACP. He launched a bid on behalf of the chapter, which was representing an African-American man who was charged with disturbing the peace, but illegally arrested without a warrant. The judge freed the man after a witness refused to appear. So the NAACP won. That same year in 47, WOW Radio featured a locally produced broadcast sponsored by the Omaha branch of the NAACP for a membership drive. It was 15 minutes long and featured uh, pianist Booker Washington and the Treble Clef Choir, along with speeches by Pinkett and uh, an appeal by a Red Cross worker named Bernice Gray. So the NAACP kept going through World War II and stayed on into that new era of growth in Omaha. During the civil rights era that came around at that point, the NAACP got really active. Now, there were national leaders who were met with Omaha, by Omaha leaders, Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. himself, Omaha native Malcolm X himself, Ella Baker, Fred Shuttlesworth, Ralph Abernathy, and all kinds of other folks met with Omaha's leaders in the civil rights movement, including Reverend Kelsey Jones, Reverend Rudolph McNair, and a lot of other people. After the 1950 speaking appearance of Roy Wilkins, he was leader of the National NAACP. Uh, Wilkins spoke at the Zion Baptist Church and the NAACP tried to capitalize on that and get people involved. Unfortunately, it was kind of losing luster for its efforts. Uh, it was at the same event where Omaha was first availed of Whitney Young, who was this dynamic young new leader from the Omaha Urban League, who later became the national leader of the uh, civil rights movement. And the NAACP didn't stand well against him. Alas, there was kind of a vacuum created, and other groups came around. 1947 saw the DePores Club for Youth emerge. 1953 saw the Caring and Concerned Educators, or CASE, come out of OPS uh, to step up for civil rights in schools. In 1963, the Citizens Civic Committee for Civil Rights, or 4CL, was formed to lead the community. 67 was when the Omaha Black Panthers and Bantu, the African nationalism group, they all came around, and there was affinity groups in the city's Hispanic and Latinx community and others that were coming around. The NAACP could have represented that, but they didn't. 1954, it was just then that an editorial in the Omaha Star said that no group can advance faster than its leaders. The Negro citizens of Omaha rightfully looked to the local NAACP for a plan of action to end the denial of human rights here in Omaha, not in Georgia or France, but right here 
That was 1954. So they were calling out the NAACP for being ineffective. Well, the NAACP tried to stay relevant. The executive sec- secretary, Walter White, spoke at Tech High uh, in that decade, in the 50s, and talked about racial discrimination as a propaganda tool in the U.S. The NAACP and the DePores Club and others got on board with them. Even State Senator Johnny Owen, an African-American representing North Omaha, he got the endorsement of the local chapter, but when he lost, uh, it kind of lost some of the luster of the chapter as well. Well, something happened, and in 53... The NAACP Youth Council launched this boycott. It was a boycott of Reed's Ice Cream, and they were working with the DePores Club. They led picketing, they made signage, they called out boycott breakers, and they did as much as they could to slow down or stop Reed's business between Cumming and Fort Street in North Omaha. It lasted for five months, but suddenly the company changed their racist hiring practices, and they hired a single African-American. So you could say that the NAACP Youth Council won. Uh, of course, the business closed in 1959, but they still won this win. So in 55, it wasn't surprising when uh, Reverend Streeter led the local chapter in a court chase against court case against the Omaha Streetcar Company and started battling the streetcar company to hire African-Americans. Well, a couple of years later, the streetcar company hired three African-American bus drivers. And uh, there was another win for the NAACP. It was 1955 when Omaha's NAACP chapter took Peony Park's Jim Crow practices to court. A black swimmer named Fred Winthrop was turned away from swimming at the park because of his race, and uh, the court turned uh, re- enforced their own civil rights law from 1885, fined Peony Park a small amount, like $15, and Peony Park went back to segregating. But in 1963, the NAACP Youth Council led a summer-long protest against the park, and soon the business was suffocated. The park relented and allowed black swimmers in for the first time. That was all the way in 1963. The NAACP had to keep evolving in order to survive. In 63, each of the community areas in Omaha got their own NAACP chapters. Uh, There was one in central Omaha that included North Omaha, one in South Omaha, and one in Northwest Omaha. Working together, they formed the NAACP Metropolitan Area Council. And when they all got their charters, they all knew that they were powerhouses and they really wanted to lead to change. There was some tension and some struggles. Regardless, the chapter president, a guy named Larry McVoy, in 1958 launched a four-point plan. He wanted to place black teachers in Omaha's secondary schools. He wanted to obtain housing for blacks outside the near north side neighborhood. He wanted to increase the number of employers that hire blacks, especially the Omaha Public Power District and Metropolitan Utilities District, and he wanted to boost the membership of the chapter. Well, that year, the Omaha chapter hosted its first ever Fight for Your Freedom. It was held at the Rome Hotel downtown for several years and featured local entertainment, national speakers, including a lot of people that came in from the NAACP national headquarters. They raised money to help the organization fund legal campaigns, promote things, and uh, other movement-building activities. In the 1970s, the fund dinners were actually held at Peony Park and later at other hotels. So there were more campaigns against poor housing and for better uh, hiring opportunities for African-Americans. And then in 1964, the Civil Rights Act passed. Well, that led to the NAACP taking more action, just as they had before. Before that, in April 1960, the NAACP boycotted five major stores in Omaha because of their discriminatory hiring practices and won. 
That included Kresge and a couple other chains downtown. The NAACP organized the Sorrow March in 1963 after the bombing, the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama. There was 100 people who uh, were watched by hundreds of spectators throughout downtown Omaha as they took a mournful march through the city's core. So Omaha continued in its ways, and the NAACP continued to grow and adapt in turn. Even through the riots in 1960s, uh, the NAACP kept their activities going. In 1968, the NAACP Youth Council protested an appearance of George Wallace at the Civic Auditorium that led to a riot in Omaha. Uh, so the NAACP stayed active and kept doing things. In 1969, when a study found that OPS had nine segregated schools, the central chapter of the NAACP boosted their enrollment and got people involved in picketing and protesting the school board and raising the issue until uh, the school board would take action in the 1970s. Uh, but something happened in 1970 uh, when the civil rights movement in Omaha took a big turn. The Omaha, two were framed by the, by the uh, FBI. This was Edward Poindexter and David Rice, and they were set up for the murder of a policeman. And unfortunately, the entirety of the chapter began to fall. But in 1977, there was an upswing. According to the late Omaha historian Matthew Stelly, Omaha's NAACP chapter grew from 170 members to 500 under the presidency of James Hart in the NAACP in 1977. Uh, he quoted Hart as saying that the white membership increased considerably, which was very encouraging. They wanted white support to dispel racist fears. In uh, 1978, the chapter filed a suit against the city of Omaha for failing to hold district elections for the city council. These district elections were insinuated to be more just and fair for African Americans because they would include an African American representative. Alas, and eventually, the national NAACP got involved and said that their lawyers feel like they could win in Omaha. And uh, as of that year, there had never been an African-American member on the Omaha City Council. So district elections would allow one to be elected. Alas, when uh, City Council President Steve Rosenblatt said, there's no question in my mind that a black could be elected to the council on an at-large basis, Rosenblatt revealed the racism behind the city council's election cycles. Anyhow, a federal court eventually got involved and ordered the style of district elections in Omaha, even though the mayor was against it and the city council was against it. In 1981, Fred Conley became the first African-American member of the Omaha City Council, and there's been one on board ever since. It was 1980 when uh, the president, Buddy Hogan, said that Omaha was unique nationally for its commitment to Jim Crow through open elections. He said... That, quote, in the case of the city of Omaha, it is extremely possible to show the discriminatory intent of the at-large scheme to deprive black citizens of their rights, end quote. That was a super powerful thing, and the NAACP pushed through. The chapter announced that they were enlisting an unnamed law firm to fight against landlords, employers, and others to stop discrimination that year. And uh, all kinds of things happened. Well, in late 1980, the, the Omaha chapter of the NAACP went through turmoil. Black Republicans rose to prominence in the organization, and Buddy Hogan, who was president for several years, was ousted from his seat by several Republicans. Well, Ernie Chambers was among the critics who accused the Republicans of, quote, caring more about their personal advancement than about the black community. 
it was all the way into 1994 before the organization was recognized for stopping more discrimination when they filed suit against uh, on behalf of former residents in Logan Fontenelle projects against Omaha Housing Authority for failing to compensate former residents from being forced to move from their homes during that neighborhood's redevelopment. The chapter went on to fight police brutality in 1995, and again in 1998 they held community discussions about the case of Marvin Ammon's death in 1997. The chapter was active and had 200 attendees at a vigil later that year. And, you know, the other thing worth mentioning regarding the Omaha's NAACP and all of the great things that they've done in the city's history is that they have sponsored Emancipation Day celebrations in Omaha since 1989. So we're talking 30 years of action now where they've had national and local heroes step forward and really step up and say, hey, African-American Emancipation Day matters for the city's history. Now, of course, the city's history of celebrating Emancipation Day goes all the way back to the 1880s. And the NAACP was involved back in the original era, too, when in the 1920s. But it, since taking the leadership of the event in 89, they've really stepped up. And uh, all kinds of different events have happened. Uh, the chapter continued to call out racial disparities in policing through 2008. And lots of things have gone on since then. White involvement has been a mainstay of Omaha's NAACP chapter with lots of African-Americans and whites working together to create change. However, it's an ugly mark on the city when to say that by the 1950s, white people were wholly missing from the Omaha chapter's activities. That's right, they were gone, Steve. They just didn't even participate. But it, there's a resurgence today, and things are moving with the new president. Uh, the new president is a spectacular person who's definitely creating change and making a difference in the community. Through Vicki Young's leadership, the NAACP in Omaha is stepping up and getting more recognition. And great things are happening. And that takes us all the way to the present, when today the NAACP is involved in some race and reconciliation efforts that are happening in the name of commemorating the lynching, remembering the lynching of Will Brown in September 1919. So with that century commemoration coming along, it's important that we recognize the opportunities, the potentials, and the pitfalls of not supporting civil rights and not stepping up for an organization such as Omaha's chapter of the NAACP. And that's a little history of the organization. Thanks for listening to the North Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Join us next week as Adam takes you on another guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past.